Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Pros and Content. My name is Anda. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Notch and one of your hosts here at Pros and Content. Today's episode is a special edition. Notch recently hosted a panel of five incredible marketing leaders to talk about content-fueled growth marketing. And I'm excited to share the conversation here too. I was prompted to bring these people together because here at Notch, we're seeing a shift in content's role, one that puts it at the heart of an organization's growth strategy. It's an important distinction to move content from a cost center to a growth engine, and our panelists had great things to say about how to do that. So without further delay, here's the recording featuring Ravi from Zillow, Lindsay from Chime, Allison from Nielsen, Deborah from Dropbox, and Shade from Paul Hastings. I hope you enjoy. Welcome, welcome. My name is Anda. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Notch. And for those of you who, who know me, this is not going to be a surprise, but I'm a big content and data nerd. I started off as a data nerd and then became a content nerd just by working with a lot of you. Um, I've come to work really closely with, a, with content and data teams, but more recently with growth teams as well, um, who are using our platform, Notch Pro, to understand how content drives audiences to become customers. Um, this topic that we're talking about today feels really timely because of the economic climate and also the fact that the public markets are keeping all of us on our toes. And I think my big takeaway, the thing that's really clear is that growth is the remit for everything. As one of our panelists shared with me in a previous call, I think it was you, Lindsay, um, there's only so many dials a marketer can turn to really drive growth. There's only so many tactics. So at some point, growth marketers and marketers in general inevitably have to turn their attention towards the fuel that powers all the tactics, um, especially for high consideration brands. And that's content. Because without the right content, any growth tactics are likely short-sighted, inefficient, and ineffective. The panelists today have one thing in common. They work in high consideration categories, and these are categories in which audiences do a lot of research before buying. This means that content really drives their customer journey and that most of that journey happens through and because of content. The panelists come from B2B and B2C backgrounds, um, and they also have uh, a range of skills from data to brand to growth, um, and most of them have done it all in their career so far. Um, they all work closely with content leaders, either because these teams report into them or because they're closely connected to them. And finally, and most importantly, they're all super opinionated, funny, and really candid. So I'm anticipating a fun conversation this morning and one that we're going to all get a lot of value out of. Um, so I guess without further ado, let me turn my attention and all of our attention to our panelists, who are really what we're here, who we're here to listen to. Um, and I'd love our panelists to just do a quick intro and share where they sit in the organization in relation to content and growth as they're introducing themselves. So, uh, Lindsay, since I, you just took a sip of water, <laughs> why don't you start? <laughs> Sorry, I just saw that you were drinking while I turned my attention. Good timing. Hi, everybody. My name is Lindsay Chastain. Um, nice to see all of your faces. I currently lead all things marketing activation at Chime for our paid, earned, and owned channels, as well as marketing operations. So um, content fuels all of those things. And um, we're in the process of really building out our content team. So very excited to learn from all of you here today. Thank you, Lindsay. Um, okay, let's go to Ravi. Thanks, Anna. Hello, everyone. Great to be here. 
I my, I my name is Ravi Kandikunda. I lead marketing for all of Zillow Group businesses. So Zillow truly has street easy for those of you in New York. Um, we are in the process of figuring out how best to leverage content in our journey to become a brand that is not just synonymous with search and find, but also can help our customers move and win the home that they so dream about. So we are in our early phases of figuring out what that journey looks like. And I'm excited to um, be part of this conversation and hopefully learn some as well. Thank you so much, Ravi. Okay, Deborah. Hi, everybody. Uh, Deborah Holstein. I lead marketing at Dropbox. Um, and within marketing, we are responsible for profitable ARR growth across all of our different products, all of our different customer segments, and across all of our different routes to market. Uh, content is a part of marketing um, because I really view it as the fuel for everything that we're doing um, across uh, every part of the funnel, every touch, every touch point. Um, so I'm really looking forward to uh, discussions with you guys. Thank you so much, Deborah. Sorry for my doggies interrupting you a little bit. There. They love content too. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. They love fighting with each other as well. Hopefully, we're not going to hear a lot of them this morning. Shade. Yeah, I, uh, my name is Shade Vaughn. I lead, uh, well, I'm the chief growth officer at Paul Hastings, which is a global law firm with 23 offices around the world. Uh, I've been here for about a year. Prior to that, I was a CMO for North America for Capgemini, selling IT services. And prior to that, at uh, Publis is Sapient, selling marketing services. And I, I think, kind of teeing off your original question, and uh, um, I think each of the three CEOs that I interviewed with for each of these jobs said to me, I want you to come in, I want you to reimagine marketing. And you say, well, what is what, what do you think marketing should be? And they they said, I want you to change it from a cost center to a growth center. And so as you you start to think about what that actually means, um, obviously content is a, is a big piece of it. And here at Paul Hastings, um, it's an interesting space because you're selling legal expertise and, and in particular uh, premier legal expertise. And so it's it's part training lawyers to to create better content, but a lot of it is us as a team uh, being able to package up that content in ways that are are leading edge, more compelling, drive more engagement. And so it's it's actually um, a really big piece of what we do. And and so um, content and growth are are arguably the the two biggest pillars of of what we do. I mean, you can get pretty general about different types of content, but that's that's really at the heart of what we do here. That's awesome. Thank you, Shane. Really appreciate it. Um, Allison. Hi, my name is Allison um, Ginsheimer. I'm the SVP of Global and Digital Growth Marketing for Nielsen. I'm located on the West Coast, so I am drinking my coffee to wake up with Anda over here. Um, we, um, In my group, we own the paid and owned channels for Nielsen globally. And we have both content creators on our team. Um, which is great. They're they're closer to the work. They're closer to the activation of the work. We also work with content creators across Nielsen, and there are a lot of them. As you can imagine, we produce a lot of data. We have a lot of data around the world, and we have a lot of people who want to talk about it, which is really cool. And so we are on a constant mission to figure out how we corral it all, get it in the right strategic place, and, and start to understand if it's really doing what it's supposed to do throughout the prospecting and, you know, existing customer journey. So excited to hear all these great ideas from you guys today. 
Thank you, Alison. Well, one thing's clear, we have a lot to learn from, from each other today. Um, so <clears throat> without further ado, let me throw you guys my, my first question. Um, and I'm going to ask Shade to, to pick it up initially, and then we can go from there. Um, first question is, Shade, what, what is growth from your perspective and what sits under growth's remit? Yeah, um, which is a great, great question. And uh, I, you know, when I was interviewing for this role, it was for a CMO role. And as we dug in more of what the organization was looking for, it's, it's ultimately growth and, and accelerated growth at that. Uh, and when you, you think about what CMOs are responsible for and you break it down in its most blunt terms, it is, it is growth. And if, if that's what we're being measured on and if we're being asked to drive strategy and growth, I think it's it's probably most important to to call it what it is. And so I remember when I was finalizing the agreement with my current role, I went back to the headhunter um, who I was working with. And I said, what what do you think about me proposing that the, the title of the role is chief growth officer? Is that going to cause any problems with my own marketability down the road? And she said, no, I think it's I think it's a great idea. I, we are seeing it more and more, and I think you're right on the money, which is you know your your stakeholders, which is a chairman and a couple of managing partners, ultimately want to drive growth in a law firm in this case, and and if that's what you are being held accountable for, I think it, it makes all the sense in the world to to call you that. Um, when it comes to growth at a law firm, there's you know you're ultimately trying to focus on specific practice areas, just as you would in most B2B organizations, whether that's sectors, whether that's um, specific areas of the law, and and come up with very specific strategies to sell those more deeply, but also to, to bring in different practices and different points of view that are a little bit more progressive and innovative than your competitors. And that, that, that expertise that you're selling, and really in any business to B2B organization, is, is your thought leadership. Which is which is in your turn, your product is content, and so I I really think at the end of the day we all have to be realistic that if you're a CMO and your organization is not growing, then you're going to be out of a job. Yeah, that's a really interesting idea that um, content is is in many ways your product. I think that's true for a lot of um, these high consideration categories that I keep referring to. Allison, I was seeing you nod when Shade was talking about thought leadership being really at the core. I know Nielsen is uh, very focused on that, and I see you sharing the thought leadership from Nielsen on LinkedIn all the time. So tell us a little bit about what growth means for Nielsen. I mean, growth really in the B2B side of it, where I focus a lot of our effort, although for surprisingly, as most people don't kind of when you think about Nielsen, you don't think about B2C, but we do have a pretty strong B2C side of our business as well because we are constantly recruiting, although we can't technically say that word sometimes, so no one get me in trouble, um, panelists for our variety of panels so we can really have that audience first approach to our business by having people at the core of it. Um, but on the B2B side, you know, content really does, it, there's so much in growth. And really that lead gen part of the business, that part of getting people to say, hey, yeah, I want to talk to you about your product. And as someone who's been buying ad tech products for most of my career, I, I know that moment that you're like, okay, yeah, I'm into it. I get it. I want to talk to you. Like, how do you get the user to that moment where they actually want a salesperson to call them? I always find that like an amazing feat. I was like, wow, I want a salesperson to call me. Like, and B2C, it's a little bit different because people are buying a personal product and the 
B2B sector, it's so fascinating um, to think about wanting to get that lead, get that person to raise their hand. It's more than just, um, you know, it's, it's kind of personal. You know, we stake our business on some of the, our personal business and some of those decisions that we make, those vendors that we choose. So how you use content from, hey, we're a company that you want to talk to. We have ideas, we have opinions, we have data. We really think about it, building that credibility with the marketplace down to, I like what you guys have to say. I'd like to actually learn more about your product is where we think about content through that whole journey. And so it's super important as you, as you kind of bring up is that showing yourself, showing your opinions, your thoughts, your future, and really, and the B2B side saying, hey, that's a company I want to be a part of. That's a company's journey I believe in. Um, and they've got some smart people over there. Thank you, Allison. Um, Deborah, would love to know your thoughts. Well, we're thinking about like, where does growth live um, in the organization? When we think about a company or a, a, SaaS, a premium SaaS business of any size, um, it, there, it, you got to think of it like an ecosystem. Um, there's a product-led piece of it, right, for kind of profitable viral gains. And then marketing is part of the ecosystem that sort of encourages adoption. It is um, ensuring that we're part of the consideration set. It's ensuring that people know uh, what they can use the product for, because it's typically broader, a broader remit than what they might have even started with. So all of those pieces need to work together. I like to think of it like flying a plane, right? It has like a hundred different dials uh, up there in the cockpit and all of them kind of have to be running for it to work. So we've got growth uh, happening both in the marketing department, right? Because we're there to make sure that we're driving profitable growth for the things that um, we're driving. And then there's growth that sits within the product organization because they're the ones who are doing the um, you know, the tuning of the buy flows, the tuning of the signup flows, you know, what can we add a different uh, call to action on the buy pages so that people, you know, will add on something, right? So it's kind of like all of that needs to be happening um, at an agile pace and all of the stuff in marketing needs to be happening at an agile pace. Thank you, Deborah. I, I love that. I, I wanted to, to ask Lindsay to to jump in and share her thoughts because when we were chatting, Lindsay, you were actually describing some of the partnership, but also some of the tension between the marketing growth and the product growth side. And then Deborah, if you want to add to that, I would love to know your thoughts around the, the friction or the collaboration. So Lindsay, jump in, please. Yeah. It's always, always fun tension. Um, I think before it was like digital versus in-store and then you have to explain, well, we're all working together and it impacts each other. And then it became performance versus brand. And then now it's uh, growth marketing versus growth product. And in the end, like it is this ecosystem, like you're saying, Deborah, and everything works together, but really figuring out how do you fit those puzzle pieces together in a way that is um, operationally efficient, but also enables every, every person on the team to feel ownership of whatever portion of that they're owning. So that's definitely something that um, you know, in a smaller startup product-led company, how do you shift the mindset that marketing actually is a strategic growth driver for the business, not just like whatever product needs, we, we make the thing to support it. So that's been, um, that's been a really interesting journey. Um, marketing creates all of the content, but who requests the content, who drives the strategy for the content, what format, where it goes, um, that's the part that we're, we're still sort of figuring out how to 
how to blend those together. And then, you know, what part is brand versus what is performance? It's, it's all inherently the same. We're here to drive growth for the business and sustain our business over the long term. And I think that's why content is so interesting because it does touch all of those things, regardless of where it sits within the organization. Thank you, Lindsay. I appreciate that. Um, I think there's quite a few areas of tension that I hope to touch on today and hopefully also learn from you guys how to diffuse, deflect, resolve whatever the right tool is in the moment. Um, but before we jump into that a little bit more, Ravi, I want to get your thoughts on, on where growth sits within Zillow. And also, I know you you come from a media background as well, so I'd love to get your thoughts on that as well. Yeah, sure. And, uh, and you know, plus one to a lot of the the thoughts that have been shared. Uh, growth is a collective responsibility, right? And it usually sits between product, marketing, business, and frontline that actually delivers on some of these experiences in a real tangible way. And in the case of Zillow, um, we do have growth teams and product growth teams focused on brand and you know driving mid funnel and bottom funnel actual conversion and marketing and sales sides. However, if I take a step back and look at the inflection points, and this is true for, I think, various industries and companies. In the case of Zillow, in the 1.0 world where we were a pure search and find um, brand, where people would go on and just search for a home and then you know find services, service providers who would actually take them past the bridge to actually land home, growth was really growing audience. How do we actually get more people onto the site with the best content, which is on-time listings that are contextual and relevant to the areas that they're interested in and have them come back again and again. So that was the definition of growth, which is inherently was a product and marketing and brand remit. Now, as you we move from that world to a world where we actually want to help our customers win the home, which is either through a mortgage, through a tour, through finding an agent, or eventually actually buying and selling, that growth definition is much more distributed and the role that content plays in navigating that customer from point A to point B becomes super important. It all is predicated on the fact that we know our customers. There are literally 100 million plus unique users who are on Zillow on a monthly basis. And um, not all of them are looking to make a transaction or buy a home or sell a home now. They have 12 to 24 month horizon. So knowing who is where at the journey and modulating that content at the right moment is all that is to, to, the, to the equation. However, what we're finding is most of our teams are not coordinated and that's true for across any industry, right? I saw that in the media space before too, content is not coordinated. And therefore it's very hard to make a connection between the content that gets a customer to a point when they are ready to transact to a call to action that essentially pushes them or gives them that final nudge to, to eventually transact. And what we currently measure is that last click attribution. Maybe we go back a week and that actually does not give us enough tools to make that connection in a, in a, in a meaningful way which I'm hoping that tools and companies like uh, what Notch you're building will help us uh, figure out what that what is the connection from point A to point B and how we can navigate it best. Thank you, Ravi. Really appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, to, to tell you guys, we're, we see so many companies struggle with this. And it's interesting because there's this whole set of um, 
products and, and vendors that solve for this problem, but they do it in the e-commerce space and it's for low consideration products. They do it for like shopping cart stuff and, you know, journey through a website. Um, and when you, when people say customer journey vendors, that's what they mean. They're in that world. <clears throat> the reason I keep coming back to this idea of high consideration is because the harder something is to sell, the longer your sales cycle, the more content you make, the longer the journey, the harder it is to actually string that data along. And it creates this issue of the missing middle. Um, so I think there's a lot of tension there as well. I wanted to follow up with, with all of you guys on digging deeper into this kind of idea of tension and friction. So it, it sounds like almost everything in marketing is kind of um, almost everyone's job. And I think there's a tension between ownership and cooperation. And I see this a lot when it comes to content. I think, you know, growth, we're, we're new to and we're still discovering exactly what's under the remit. It seems to be clearer, but content is, is in many ways... It's old, but it's new as a function, right? And so a lot of organizations are trying to figure out how do we create a content team? Where do we put it? Who do they collaborate with? What ownership do they have? Do they own the website? Do they not own the website? How do they collaborate with the folks who own the website? So I'd love to hear from you guys how you've thought about organizing around content and building a content team within your orgs in mind with this idea of kind of friction versus collaboration. And please feel free to share stories of friction because we would all have a lot of fun listening to them. Um, who wants to go first? I'm, I don't want to necessarily call your names, but I'll make sure that each of you get to chat. Lindsay, do you want to go first? I, I saw you on mute. Sure. I can add some here from both my time at Ancestry as well as what we're doing at Chime. Um, so I've seen many different uh, starting points here, but when it comes to the ownership of the website strategy, I, there's always this moment of figuring out, can we bring it all together and have the people who are focused on like conversion rate optimization and assuming every page is meant to convert and the people who are building editorial long form content, they probably own the blog, um, but both are focused on SEO optimization and it comes down to the purpose of the site and the pages and then how you measure impact and the time horizon. And bridging that gap has been challenging at times, depending on um, you know where the stronger personalities are and um, and how like the existing reporting structure sits. So what I've been focused on now is finding a leader who can bridge that gap between the two and oversee both web and content, knowing that they'll have people on the website that are much more like conversion rate optimization focused and working with. Um, our growth product team on like, how are we continuously optimizing certain points in the funnel, but then broadening the scope to make sure that we're thinking about the website as having a much larger purpose than just immediate conversion, especially for something that is longer consideration cycle. And many people are not ready right away. So how do we make sure that we're continuing to move them through the journey and also understanding more about them. And that feeds into how we optimize the website for conversion. So creating that feedback loop between the teams. Um, I've built it separately before and that was challenging. And often you had to force them to keep working together. So this time around, I'm going for a leader who can bridge that gap. Is it easy to find Lindsay, that leader? Um, I mean, it's not the easiest thing, but there are enough people out there now, I think, that are thinking holistically about um, content strategy and, you know, format is, is sort of irrelevant. Um, where mm -hmm. I am finding it interesting is some people have a lot of thoughts on, like, content strategy across all applications. So everything from mm -hmm. ad content to um, partner content, 
Um, and how do you make sure you're continuing to scale in that direction and providing more of a consultative leadership partnership um, across the org? So for example, like we have a BD team and I want to have someone in the room with them focused on content strategy as we're building that partnership agreement. So someone who could play that role, but also lead overall like technical optimization for a website, that part's a little bit harder. So finding uh, a happy middle and then making sure that we're supporting them um, with the specialist underneath. The content uh, community um, that we run, pros and content, is is exploding. And we just see so much talent coming from all sorts of different sides of kind of the traditional marketing background that are now interested in content. It's not just the, the journalist kind of creative type background anymore, although there's a lot of that talent as well that's gotten educated on a lot of other areas of marketing, but also just coming from other places as well. Um, Deborah, your team, you know, we, we've always thought that your team is so empowered when it comes to the work that they do. Um, they do a lot of data optimization on their own and um, are some of the most kind of tech savvy content marketers that we work with. I would love to know how you thought about building that team, recruited talent for it. Tell us more. Yeah, I, I was also just going to build on what Lindsay was saying too. It's just like the the bringing together of the, I'll call them like the short-term wins of like bottom of the funnel <laughs> optimizations. Cause it's like, you get the quick dopamine hit, you know, you get to talk about the million dollars you made that quarter or whatever. But if you forget the top of the funnel, like you're going to feel it later, right? It's, it's kind of like skipping leg day, right? You know, it's like, you're going to notice it eventually and you're not going to, not going to be happy about it. Um, <clears throat> the way that uh, I have navigated sort of bringing people together across different groups with different frameworks <laughs> of like what they feel like the website is about is really to keep bringing it back to the audiences, right? Um, because at some level, everybody buys that. You can get, um, you know, kind of tunnel vision a little bit if you're just like, I'm just optimizing this flow within an inch of its life. Um, but if you can sort of help everybody across different teams sort of see that like people aren't waking up in the morning going, gee, I want to buy some Dropbox today, right? Or whatever it is. It's just like, you know, there has to be the education and the consideration <laughs> to sort of like move into that. And they start to see like, oh, right. I'm not going to get people into my flow until there is an experience that does that. But that's a process, not an event, right? It takes, it takes a while um, to do that. Uh, we are very, very metric driven. Um, and I'd say we are decent at uh, measuring the things that we can measure. And we're getting better at measuring the things that we need to measure that we aren't yet, um, aren't yet doing very well. I find that it allows marketing to have a seat at the table in a very real and relevant way when the marketing team can speak numbers as well or better than um, the product team can as well. So I just, I really make sure that we are armed with both that insight so that they can come and make cases and talk about it and talk about what we're measuring and talk about what the implications are. Um, but also be able to, you know, with the other side of our brain, create compelling content and experiences such that we can start to fill that top of the funnel um, as necessary. I really like that. I, um, I'll repeat back one of the things that I heard and let me know, Deborah, if you agree. Um, I almost felt like you said that insight and data is essentially the cure for some of the tension between these teams, right? Because if you can get aligned on the data truth, then the rest is just a rational, productive conversation around changes that you need to make. 
Yeah. It's like we can have, you know, healthy tension around in what order we want to do things, right? Or in, you know, right. do we want to test this or that first, right? That's fine. And that's healthy. And we can build a roadmap to figure all that stuff out. But everyone, this is why I love SAS, like in general, like everybody aligns on what the metrics need to be, right? And then mm-hmm. it's just a question yeah. of like, what do we do to get them healthy? Yeah. I really like that. Thank you. Um Ravi, I can't see you on my screen anymore, but I'm assuming you're there. Um, I know that we talked, <laughs> I know that we talked about some of that, you know, public market pressure um, on, on uh, instant gratification metrics, short-term metrics, and how you guys think about telling that story internally. Can you share a bit more about that? Yeah, yeah, sure. And, you know, what Deborah said is absolutely right. It comes down to measurement. It comes down to how do you articulate the value of the content that you're placing in front of the customers. And not many companies are really good at it. And um, Zillow is right there, which is, you know, we have all these teams that are trying to hit the goals that they have to go um, achieve on a monthly, weekly, and quarterly basis. And in a world where it is, where content is so cluttered, how do you identify the piece that will actually move the customer from one one step to the next step? And then um, attribute that to be the um, the differentiator in how or how or why a customer actually took the action um, that they took is a hard business to or hard business problem to solve. And uh, one of the steps that we are starting to take, and we are very early in this phase, is to actually get our strategy in terms of what we put in front of customers and how and when. So, is it is it contextual? Is it relevant? Is it intelligent? And then line it up in a way across all of our channels. So if you think about paid, earned, and owned, um, uh, in, in the case of Zillow, we have substantial amount of owned traffic that comes onto our site. And that uh, is our natural place to actually go um, curate some of this. However, those channels are also product channels. Those are engineering channels. So how do you con- convince an engineer or a product owner to change some of these placements to be in service of the journey, um, the the real arbitration mechanism is to know where the customer is in what part of the journey and being able to articulate the the delta thereof. And we are are, um, in conversations with all of our teams and building those mechanisms, starting to put KPIs at each of those levels, increase our level of uh, understanding of the customer, and then navigate the value, both in short-term and long-term. And very few companies have been successful in balancing both of those. Um, and, and it takes several years to get there. And I call it you know incubation phase. Then you get into the adaptation phase and then integration phase. I think we as a company are still in the incubation phase, just trying to figure out how do we adapt it into the broader ecosystem of overall content. I wanted to ask you a quick follow-up question because it feels like, you know, Zillow has a, not just feels like, I know for a fact that you guys have thousands and thousands and thousands of content assets. Um, do you think that the, the volume is what makes the problem really complex? Or do you think that it's the fact that the customer journey is becoming more and more complicated and harder to track that makes the problem complex? A, a bit of both, right? Too much content that is not relevant doesn't really help. And we are, uh, and we have Jen Berger um, here on, on the on the call, and she's been leading. Hey, Jen. 
content charge. She's been super focused on making sure that we have the right content built and identify the ones that are not relevant to the customers in, in one place. So that's, that's part one. Because if it's too much content, then it's very hard to measure and then correlate to what the outcomes are. Simultaneously, okay. we are then also trying to increase our understanding of where the customer is. It's very hard. I mean, if you think about real estate journey, just like any other purchase journey, it is more complicated and fewer transactions. So none of that right. is linear. So how do you then understand what content piece actually drove uh, what outcome? And it is it is a challenge. It is both a business challenge as well as a measurement challenge. So it's a bit of both. Well, um, I wish that I could tell you guys that we've solved everything, but what, what I know is true of all data companies is that the best they can give you is a really good approximation. Um, and I think that's an important thing to remember as we continue talking about measurement being the cure to, to everything that, you know, ultimately we're all just working off of uh, really good approximations and trying to get better at making them. Um, so on that note, I wanted to maybe ask Allison to share to share her thoughts on this. I know that both Allison and Shade actually, you know, you guys have a sales team that you have to enable as well with your with your content. Allison, feel free to jump in. Yeah, I was. I was. Um, this is such a smart conversation. It's so fun to be a part of it because it's a lot of the challenges and things you guys are raising are things we deal with every day. I know what you were saying, like sometimes the close approximation, I used to have this great leader of measurement and analytics um, for a while at Wells Fargo. And he would say, you know, at different parts of your decision-making, a close approximation is probably good enough, depending upon the decision that you're trying to make. You know, if you're, you know, in surgery or something like that, you probably don't want to roll with a close approximation. But if you're trying to make a decision like in the moment, optimizing a campaign, optimizing a user experience, a close approximation is better than nothing at all. And it might be, you know, don't let, what is the statement? Don't let perfection get in the way of good enough kind of thing. Like how do you, how do you use data in, in, in those types of ways to, to get there? I think we're on our, we're on our kind of data journey at Nielsen. We have a ton of content. I, I forget the person that brought up, um, I think it was you know, Ravi, like we've content from everywhere. It's about organizing it and aligning it to where it should show up and when it should show up. Like creation of content is not our problem. Um, we've got it coming out our ears. But one of the, one of the also, and I put a note in the chat, not to self-promote or anything, but it was just, I, when I, I love working for a marketing tech firm because we have data everywhere. And so I was searching to kind of have that same conversation. Like Deborah said, like we lead everything with data. It just helps. If you can walk in the room and say, I know why this happened. Here's the numbers. Here's how we're measuring it. Here's how we know right now. People take you a little bit more seriously. And also they consider, I had one of our sales leaders say, I now feel marketing is accountable when we were able to stand up and hold ourselves to numbers. Um, which is why I kind of shared that article with you because on the brand stuff, it's probably the hardest place to hold yourself to numbers. You can run media mix models. You can run all this stuff. You can say, look at our sentiment. It's awesome on the brand survey, but it's really hard. Like people are like, okay, but what does that turn into revenue? Like, what does that turn into driving the business? Are you creating, you know, a different perception of the company that at the end of the day drives someone to want to do business with us? How do you connect those dots? And as we 
chip away at the digital ecosystem that I was part of building. I'm sorry for both the pros and the cons of that, that we all participated in. We all did that retargeting thing that made consumers angry and really wanted to get rid of cookies. We all did it at some point in our career. Um, but, you know, as we, that starts to chip away, really understanding those things and being able to articulate like what you're doing for the business gets harder and harder and harder. And so constantly looking for those reasons. I do I encourage you to read that article because Imran saved my life with the, I think one point increase in brand lift can equal a, a percentage increase in revenue over time. You can't forget that. You know, Deborah, I used to say the same comment as you, like people don't wake up in the morning and go, oh my God, I have to do this. Like that it does not spontaneously our products pop into people's heads. A series of events affected that. It's how we measure and tell that story. And it's never one solution. You know, I think that's the other thing people get lost on. Like, I need the one solution that's going to do it for me. It's usually a combination of different solutions that you bring together to tell our own story internally. Um, and it depends on that story is a full funnel story. It's not a, hey, look at how many leads we drove this month. Are we awesome? It's like, no, look at how much engagement we had around our key pillars of what we want to be known for. And we want our customers to think about, look at how much engaged in our social channels. Look at, you know, yeah, those will turn into leads eventually. Those will turn into customers eventually. One of the things you said on, on our call, Allison, was uh, that this quote that you heard, I think within, within Nielsen, maybe others, we don't even need good content. We just need leads. And I thought it was really funny because um, it kind of goes into this B2B conversation to gate or not to gate, right? right. <laughs> it's oh, such, God. Um, it's, it, it kind of encapsulates the, the tension and the constant education that it sounds like you guys have to continuously kind of put into your own teams and your organizations and manage up and manage around to ensure that everyone understands the importance of thinking about how people actually buy. Um, cause it's, you know, it's simple. It's simple at the end of the day. We just have to remind ourselves, um, Shade, I want to get your thoughts. I know that, um, when we were chatting, you said that you had to invest a lot of your time and effort, and I'm assuming you still do both in getting the customer facing teams to understand the importance of content, but I'm assuming also getting your bosses to understand the importance of content in, in relation to growth. So I'd love to get your thoughts on how you continuously do that. Yeah, I mean, as I'm listening to the, this great dialogue, it, what strikes me is, you know, marketing is the blending of, of art and science. And we've talked a lot so far about data-driven content development. And I, and I, I guess I want to put a pitch out there for the art, uh, the artistic elements of great content. And I'm, and I'm reminded, um, a buddy of mine, he used to be the CMO of Whole Foods. This was like 10 years ago, and they used to do this online magazine. It was basically a lifestyle magazine and they invested a ton of money into doing really high profile things like a like a, doc, a video documentary on one of the leading chefs in Norway. And, and it, it cost an enormous amount of money to do really great content. And I remember the CMO telling me that his, his board of directors hated it. They felt like it was a waste of money. He couldn't really tie it to revenue or growth. But he knew in his heart that it was the right thing to do. It was part of brand content for Whole Foods. And, and ultimately, he got pushed out. <laughs> the, the decision makers, the bean counters decided that, that it wasn't a direction they wanted to go. But I, I just I love that tension in the room when you've got growth marketing and you've got your content teams kind of 
talking about the importance of really strong content that connects with customers in a real meaningful way that creates that experience that you want for them and and that tension because the product marketing or the growth marketing team is saying yes but that doesn't drive any engagement we need we need this piece of content at this point in the life cycle and and i i really feel like we um as 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 marketers have to make sure that we're always factoring in some combination of not just going by the numbers, not just looking at minute by minute what's happening, but also knowing what's important to build the brands and, and bringing those two together. And I think that the, the, the way I look at it is you've got to build that team, that super team that brings different skills and capabilities. Some of it's marketing operations, some of it's growth marketing, some of it's content strategy, some of it's like really strong, just storytellers that, that are, have to be forced into a room and find a way to work together. One of the ways that I've found to um, bring it together and still use a metric around it is like, you know, we all know and love LTV to CAC, right? Um, things that we do at the top of the funnel may not be directly attributable, right? We look at leading metrics, search leads, website visits, blah, 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 right? But at the end of the day, if you count that in your CAC, right? with the stuff that you can attribute and the math works, it's all good, right? Because what you're asking your CFO to believe is that, you know, we know how to balance, you know, creating demand and, and cost-effectively capturing that demand. And so essentially by taking the CAC in, even though I know it's not going to be directly attributable to that YouTube you know, set of videos or that social media campaign, <clears throat> I'm taking accountability for the investment, um, even knowing that the, the attribution for that particular piece. So like when I think about your colleague, you were talking about with the, with the magazine, like that's what I would have thought of is like, okay, but just sort of like include it in your CAC, even if you can't attribute it. And maybe there's a way to kind of get everybody comfortable with the fact that it is, you know, creating that top of funnel. I really like that, Deborah. I was going to say, um, kind of the, the, the same thing, which is that, yes, you can't over-index on, on data-driven marketing, but I think if you don't start with a plan, then it's going to come to bite you in the butt. Because <laughs> if you don't bake it into either CAC or LTV and have a very prescriptive way for how you articulate it, inevitably you're going to be on the back foot when it comes to justifying your existence. And that moment always comes for marketing teams. It always comes at least once a year, if not more often than that. So that's where I would end it. Thank you all so much for being here, for having a great conversation. If you have any questions or would like to be connected to anyone on this call that you heard talked um, and, and thought was super smart, please reach out to the team at Notch and we'll gladly try to help. Um, I hope you have a great rest of the week and thanks again to the speakers. Really appreciate your time and your wisdom. Thanks for listening to another episode of Pros and Content. We hope you enjoyed this conversation. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe. And if you have any suggestions or feedback, send a note to hello at notch.com. That's K-N-O-T-C-H dot com. Visit us at prosandcontent.notch.com. And we hope you tune in next time. This episode was edited by Douglas Ray and produced by Ellen Schwartz 